0: any disease.
1: Welcome to Katie's Crib, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Katie's Crib. This week, I'm re-releasing one of my early interviews back from 2018. We'll have a brand new episode up for you on June 23rd. Enjoy the conversation. Bye. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Katie's Crib in this episode we are talking about babies and sleep sleep training scheduling on demand we are going to investigate this big and for a lot of people a very controversial subject we have here a friend of mine by the name of Susie menkes and she works with a company that she started called healthy little sleepers here in los angeles she's the founder and she is going to talk to us about sleep training Hi, Susie. Hi. I'm so happy to have you here. So happy to be here. Thank you for um, sharing your knowledge with us. Mm -hmm. Um, I never heard about sleep training. I never knew what it was and then I had a baby and then it was all of a sudden all everybody was talking about. Can you walk us through the very simple question of what is sleep training?
4: What is sleep training? Such a good question Um, because oftentimes people don't know about it until you actually have a baby and there's this thing Sleep training you have to train your baby to sleep wow. um, so it's basically just making changes in your baby's sleep habits so that they can learn to self-soothe so a lot of times we come home from the hospital they're newborn. Mm-hmm. We're there for them. We're doing it for them. Sure. Um, but at some point, and it's typically around four months of age, is when their circadian rhythms start coming into play. What's and that? Um, it's basically, their <laughs> what sleep is that word? Circadian
1: rhythms. Start. You're smart. <laughs> circadian rhythms. Okay. It's
4: their sleep rhythms, um, mm-hmm. and it's set by the rising and setting of the sun. And so that's where you get kind of those sleep schedules that people talk about—that nine and one nap and things like that. Sure. Um, but really what happens is at four months of age is they've become already accustomed to some associations to sleep. So whether you're nursing them to sleep, whether you're rocking them to sleep,
1: whether they're in a, a stroller, dark room, dark room, on there's a, go, a sound machine
4: on, all of it. So there's associations of all involved with sleeping that they may need to unlearn sure. and learn to self-soothe. right. And so that's
1: where we come in and try to do sleep learning for them. And by self-soothing, to clarify that, you mean like the baby, he or she has her own tools to put her or himself to sleep.
4: Right. So sleep is a science, right? So Mm -hmm. it's a balancing of hormones. Uh, Melatonin is a sleep hormone that we produce Mm -hmm. um, and we don't really start producing it until we're three, four months of age. So
1: that's where you get that day-night confusion before that. They're up during yeah, the night. Yeah, guys, in case you didn't know where you were freaking out, babies come out and they lived in a dark place for 10 months and then all of a sudden we're telling them like, oh, the sun's down, the sun's up, but they have no idea. And a lot of babies, even when they first come out, which I didn't know until I was going through it myself, It's reversed. Right. So, they could be up for some reason. Wow, they are napping the hell out of this day. But at nighttime, it's like the most energy you've ever seen. Right. And it's because, un- like you're saying, until month three or four, they don't know, they don't go by the sun yet. They right. don't go they by don't have our those normal rhythms
4: yet. They don't produce melatonin. The one thing that we do is produce melatonin. And right. so, melatonin in our breast milk is actually highest in the evenings. So, if you are nursing, you have that
1: benefit to give them nighttime breast what? milk. I am the night. mind blown right now. I, again, oh God, I, I love Katie's crib selfishly because <laughs> I get lessons like in motherhood on the regular, which is so great. Um, wow, okay. Why do you think sleep training is such a controversial and heated topic amongst parents?
4: It is. It's often misguided sometimes by um, like a fear tactic. Don't let your baby cry. Oh. Um, and there is that, Kind of almost like breastfeeding. Yeah. There's that controversy of yeah, to sure. breastfeed or not to breastfeed. Yeah, pressure and pressure, stigmas attached, judgment. And, yeah, like this makes you, you let, a
1: good mom. This makes you a bad mom. Sure. And sure. if
4: you're gonna let your baby cry, you're harming your baby, right? right? There's a level of stress that's involved in learning a new tactic. But the American Academy of Pediatrics is something that we follow as sleep consultants and they actually put a framework together of stress that's really a good guideline to think about stress and what you are doing or not doing for your baby right so there's a positive stress response which is a typical frustration struggling starting daycare all those are typical stress responses Mm -hmm. there's a tolerable stress response which is more of something that's not every day maybe a divorce a death in the family Mm -hmm. and then there's toxic stress response where um, you don't have a loving caregiver. There's abuse. There's neglect Oof, involved, right? So those are the love that toxic level is what we're talking about being harmful and damaging to the brain. Sure, that's not what sleep training is about, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, and plus, you're
1: not equating sleep training with abuse, right okay, right? okay, okay. So
4: that's where this kind of misguided information comes from. Of sleep training is involved with levels of stress. Yes, they're learning a new habit and it's hard for any of us to change something. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's kind of dealing with that, you have a stable environment, you have a loving caregiver to help you cope through that stress, right? We don't say, here, go <laughs> go, learn how to sleep and walk away, right? One, we do it for them first, mm-hmm. we do it with them, mm-hmm. we watch them do it, and then they do it on their own.
1: Whoa, guys, that was just like a real <laughs> smackdown. Yeah, I, I definitely personally had, you know, I went back to work when Albie was seven weeks old, And for me, sleep was literally like a a number one priority list because I couldn't memorize my lines, show up at work, look remotely like I was a sane person and not like a garbage bag um, and not get my sleep. And so I remember the first times I, you know, was told it's okay to let him make annoyed kind of "Ah, ah, cry-y sounds for two, three minutes. Wait a minute. Let's see what he does. And he's going to start to teach himself, find his thumb, or if you're a pacifier person or whatever it is, find tools with which to put himself to sleep. And I did have those thoughts for a minute of like, am I subconsciously damaging my baby that he's going to be in therapy for a million years because of me, because I let him cry for three minutes. And you're saying that is a stress that is not damaging.
4: No. Plus he's in a stable environment. Yes. Yes. Oh, I was watching loving... that monitor like a hawk
1: <laughs> and counting down the seconds. Right?
4: And you're there when he wakes up. Of course, and you're there to feed him, of to course. love him, of to course. play with him. Yeah, you know, he's in that environment. He is. You're building that secure attachment in those first four, four to six months. So that's what you're doing.
1: Oh, it's, it's good to hear that and, I have. And I think there's also controversy, that <laughs> right?
4: And I think there's also controversy in that if you do sleep train around four, between four and six months, that there is that. Stigma of um, that you're harming your baby.
1: Yeah. It's too soon. He's not enough weight. What do you say about those sort of situations? <laughs> um, Is there a set rule of when, how, how much weight, all these things? And again, I don't really know what I'm talking about. These are like literally rumors that have flown into my head yes, from other people.
4: Typically, moms. PD, I always say go by your pediatrician. Yes. Where are they on the spectrum mm-hmm. in terms of weight wise? Are they in 50%? Are they gaining weight? Um, you know, if they're born early, sometimes you have to wait a bit longer because you really want to go by their developmental age, which is based on their due date, not when they're born. Right. Um, so if they're early, you might have to wait another two weeks or three weeks. Sure. Um, pediatricians often have kind of a 14 pound rule. Mm -hmm. Um, if I get a client with a 12, 13 pound baby, but they're feeding well, they're gaining weight, I'm not going to turn them away. Um, because they are developmentally ready. They are producing melatonin. They are Their circadian rhythms are in place. They do have social smiles, um, which develop around six to eight weeks of age, which mm. is a prime example of when to set routines in place. Mm. Because social smiles is a connection. They are making
1: connections and associations. Mm, interesting. Can you um, talk to us about some of the different methods of sleep training that parents use? Is there a particular one that you recommend? Does it depend on the baby and the issue at hand?
4: Um, so there's no one particular method that I use. I often take a look at the baby and you know, the parent is the expert on their baby, so I get a lot of information from the parents. Um, their age, what's been going on before, anything has been tried before, how long have they tried it. Um, I've been trained by the Family Sleep Institute, which doesn't uh, have one particular method that they, we are trained in all of them. Okay. Um, and it's sometimes a combination of them. There's a Ferber method, which is like a check and console. There is the Sleep Wave by Kim West, I believe. Mm-hmm. There is Cry It Out, which is extinction, where is the true cry it out. You put your baby in your bed, in their crib. You leave the room, you come back the next morning, um, assuming, assuming there's no night feeds. Wow, assuming
1: that is Assuming there's hard no war. night feeds, which and you still
4: can do sleep training with a night feed.
1: Um, and that's the one that moms say, like, they did that for two or three nights and then they never did it again. Like, is that true? I didn't have to do that, so I don't know if I would even be built of the stuff that could do it.
4: It's not for the faint of heart. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, I did it.
1: Wow. With my first. Wow. Um, how many nights did it take? Two. And how long was the crying? Do you know? what 30 you minutes.
4: Turn? No, I opened oh. a bottle of wine and I cried and watched the monitor and in 30 minutes he was asleep. Wow. The next night it was like maybe 10 minutes. Okay. So that's the cried out method. What's the verber? Verber. Ferber method. What yes. is that? So that is a check and console. So you put your baby down to sleep, he starts crying five minutes, you go and check on him. You don't pick him up or her up. Um, you say a little, it's okay, we're here, it's time to sleep, and you leave the room. Okay. And then you can wait 10 minutes. And then you go in after 10. I mean, it can be another five. You can do
1: a Right, you do a couple of, nights of like going in every five minutes and just using your voice and your presence mm-hmm. to console them, but you don't touch them. Mm-hmm. And then the next two nights or whatever it is that's comfortable for you, then you might extend to you wait 10 minutes before you go in the room. Exactly. I have a friend that did that. Exactly. And then what's the other
4: method that you said? There's a chair method. which is a little bit more gentle approach. So you're in the room with them. Um, It takes a little bit longer in terms of, you know, getting out of the room and being able. So you start next to the crib.
1: In a chair. In a baby's crib.
4: In a chair or on the floor. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's like the chair. Right. Um, And you're there. You can first couple days, you can use your hands on them, but you don't want any like any other rhythm involved because you don't want to start another association for them to get attached to. So you keep it minimal interaction, but you're there for them. And when they fall asleep, you leave the room when they cry again, you come back into that position and you do the same thing without picking your baby up. Wow. And, and then you slowly move the next two days. You're maybe in the middle of the room. Then you're not doing touching. It's just your voice. The next two days you move again and maybe you're three quarters of the way to the room. Then you're at the door. Then you're outside the door. And then then kind of like slowly, mm -hmm.
1: slowly introducing that they are safe in this space that you are here until I'm not here physically, but but I am here, but I am Mm -hmm. here. Whoa, that's, this is all, God, motherhood, you got to be a beast. Like this is so, so fascinating. Um, Do you have any advice for what parents can say when, I don't know, I, I do feel like this is like breastfeeding, like you brought it up already. It's just a very judgy topic. Mm-hmm. Um, I can remember very early on, like my baby was sleeping through the night at eight weeks mm-hmm. or like the other version, which is like, Oh my gosh, I I honestly do not believe in sleep training until they are six months of age and 15 pounds and that is cruel to be doing. I've heard all sides of the spectrum and people are not afraid to give their opinion and their advice. So what would you suggest for parents that are, I don't know, might have, that are picking whatever it is they're picking and how to stick with it or? I think finding the
4: support, um, whether it's their
1: husband, their friend,
4: their family. Sometimes family has different opinions though. Um, I've had clients who are like, I didn't tell my mom I was doing this or my dad I was doing this and there's the mom and dad calling and I'm at their house and they're not picking up and then she's saying, oh shoot, my sister probably told them and that's why they're calling. You know, they know you're here. Um, So they got to find where they can find that support. And sometimes that's me. Right. Um, I work with families on a two week period when they hire me. So I'm there for them for two weeks. Oh, so that's how it works
1: with a sleep consultant. You Mm -hmm. get hired for a two week period. And you work with that family closely and hopefully in that two weeks you see a bunch of improvement as exactly. far as sleep is concerned. Exactly. Yeah, I have to say sleeping, even to this day, is, a, is probably the only really touchy subject where Adam and I, m- my husband and I, we really sometimes butt heads, which is mm-hmm. when we put the baby down and he's making fussy sounds. Um, it's like someone screaming in my head. Like it's so loud to me that I'm not going in there and the seconds go by like years. Mm-hmm. And my husband just has a way higher threshold for like, it's only been 15 minutes. He's going to put himself down. He always does. He does it every night. He's going to put himself down. And I'm like, no, 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 Tonight is different. It sounds different. It's just, it's just taking forever. And, and to be clear, he's going, ah, ah, ah. He's not screaming, crying at all. Right. He's either has gas or he's like getting tired and expressing himself. Right. But, um, I have to say, even to this day, that that is a husband-wife dilemma for Absol- me, for our family. Absolutely.
4: And I work with families, couples, couples that way mothers, because there partners. are differing opinions about what to do and kind of coming to an agreement in a middle ground and having that plan Yeah, and being able to have that plan for both of them to work off of. And then caregivers, too. So There's... you're like a therapist, too. Yes. I've been,
1: I've, <laughs> you're I've like the middle man. That. Yes. The middle yes. woman. Yes. Um, so... At what age would you say a sleep routine is established?
4: Um, So I touched on this earlier, around six to eight weeks. Wow.
1: um,
4: Just a routine. Right. Not sleep training. Right. We're not trying to get them to sleep on their own. Um, But they are, when you see social smiles, they are making connections. So when you put those pre-bedtime routines in place, it's their
1: sense of routine and structure that sleep is around the corner. Right. And that's when I was told, like, this is when you might introduce a bath routine and then like a song or a book or the lights change or the white noise sound comes up, but you get into this like sort of ritual routine that they can associate with, now I'm going to sleep for the night. Right, and and, and naps too. You can do a shortened version for naps. I do. Yep, mm-hmm. And it
4: helps, oh helps, increase that melatonin levels because their bodies and their mind are already getting ready for sleep because those routines are starting and so that melatonin is starting to get produced.
1: Great, um, is it ever too late to start? Like, do you ever get phone calls from babies that are are not sleeping through the night at one and a half, two? Yeah, oh, it's God. never too
4: late. It's it's a lot easier when you start early because you just have certain pattern patterns and rhythms right. um, that are in place. Sure. Um. So when you start sleep training a little bit later. Um, there's just an, a, a a little bit bigger of an adjustment, right? Um,
1: Maybe a little bit more protest because they're verbal. Um, so you put oh my God, I can't even know? imagine. So, what are the benefits of sleep training? And you know, if I was playing devil's advocate here, are there benefits to just reading the baby's cues and just letting the baby sleep when they're ready? Sure. That's probably like nails on a chalkboard to you, but but no, explain.
4: No, I mean for our
1: listeners and viewers sh- who are like truly because there are so many stigmas attached. Like, sure.
4: So sleep training is important both for the parents and for the child because sleep deprivation is hard on us. We can't function as well. We're going to fight more with our partner. We're going to be testy during the day. We won't remember things as well. We don't already already yeah. have pregnancy brain. Mom like it's going to be brain. like... Mom brain. Mom brain, not yeah, pregnancy yeah, brain, yeah, yeah. Well, the same thing. It's um, yeah, it continues. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and what happens in sleep, especially in the first four to five hours of sleep, um, is... Non-REM sleep, it's the most important sleep we get, it's when our brain shrinks and our toxins are flushed out. So that sleep is most important to get consolidated, which is get them to sleep from like seven to 12 and then that's when we say if you're still having a feeding at night, have it after midnight.
1: Whoa, okay, I was doing that in the early days. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. So sleep training you would say is so beneficial because it's important to get them to have quality uninterrupted sleep. That's where their brain develops. And mm-hmm. also so that we don't just jump off a crazy train of insanity because Ex- it's just so hard to be. I mean, I've never been so sleep deprived my whole life. I thought no. I was going to lose my mind. Yes. Um, and on the flip side, mm-hmm. right, do, just following your baby's cues, yes. right? Yes. So
4: that works great if you have a flexible sleeper. And sometimes you just fall naturally into that pattern. Mm-hmm. And that's when you get like, oh, yeah, my baby's sleeping at eight weeks. You're like, mm-hmm. great, you have a unicorn baby. Thanks a lot, you know. <laughs> right, right. Um, but it goes hand in hand, right? So the parenting style and the baby's flexibility just matched up and they got into a good rhythm. Right. Um, and it just it happens naturally. And so they're able to follow those baby's cues sometimes babies have colic, sometimes they have reflux, sometimes the parents are working. So there's a lot of other things juggling and to follow your baby's cues, um, necessarily doesn't always work.
1: Yeah, that was, a... yeah, that was my case. Like I remember going back at seven weeks to work and emailing my nursing schedule to Carrie Washington where, cause she was the director of the episode and I had to feed Albie at six, nine, 12, 3, six. And I had to know that he was going to be waking up from his nap at that time, that I was going to be allowed to go back to my trailer at that time to feed my kid. So, for me, it really helped knowing that he naps from eight thirty to ten in the morning. At ten, I feed him. Then he naps again from eleven thirty to one. At one, I feed him, and then he napped again. So in the morning, you know, so the early stages it was very helpful. Now it's funny that I find that I'm off and he's in a routine already. His naps are sort of changing, and I've become far more flexible in sort of experimenting like. Not waking him up from a nap and seeing how long he goes, because I think he's trying to tell me something that his naps are maybe we're going to drop a nap, maybe one, you know, we're going to go from four naps to three naps to two naps, you know, so, mm-hmm. but I'm also off. So I have some of the, you know, it really, you're right, it depends on the schedule. Right. And what and your baby thrives on. Right.
4: And he's already in a great routine. Totally. So you have that kind of, okay, well, he
1: let, knows let when me... it's time to go to sleep. So he know. I have the whole setup, right. the whole aura. Vibe of his room is yes, totally set I love and the ready for a crib.
4: Shades. She's got a Marpac dome. Got...
1: <laughs> oh yeah, I... guys, we're in Alby's crib right now. My <laughs> crib, Alby's nursery. But yes, and I do carry those things around with me now. I've gotten so confident that we've um, that he's a good sleeper right now that we are able to. We black out his stroller, and we have a traveling sound machine. And so if I am on the go and can't move my schedule things around, he will take his nap. It's not as good, no. and I don't want to do it all the time. But when I do, it's, he yeah. knows. It's like he knows it's time. Exactly. Um, can co-sleeping be a part of sleep training? Are they mutually exclusive? Um,
4: co-sleeping is another controversial topic. Mm. Um, very.
1: <laughs> it co-sleeping, so you guys know, means sleeping in the same bed as your parent, mm-hmm. as the mom or dad, correct? correct? Or, or and the baby, correct. blah, blah, blah. You get me. <laughs> correct.
4: So again, we go by what the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends. And part of their role of having the baby in your room till one year of age um, was to encourage you know, the ease of breastfeeding and taking care of your baby and reducing the risk of SIDS. Co-sleeping with a newborn and a baby under a year of age is not safe. Mm. Um, so instead of co-sleeping, we want to think of it as room sharing, mm. right? You can have a co-sleeper that's mm. attached to the bed, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but you're not going to roll over onto the bed. Right. Um, Right. So it's really about reducing the risk of SIDS and that's something we can control um, because there's other things that we can't control like developmental periods and maybe something they're thinking about about SIDS is that it is biological Mm. so we can't control that but we can control all these external factors. Sure. So if I have a co-sleeping parent if they're over one year of age and the baby and you know if they're if that's the setup they want to do, I can work with them, but I really try and encourage room sharing. And sometimes room sharing is a necessity because of another baby or they live in New York just and they're in an apartment. Yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah of course. Um, so kind of working around, maybe they're in a studio apartment. I've done that too. I just took my first trip where Albie hasn't slept in my room in a long time. He's seven months old and he was in my room. And I, every two minutes I heard a sound and I thought something was happening. It was yeah. insane. Yeah. Um, you say you do a two-week period with the family. Is mm-hmm. that how long sleep training typically takes? Um,
4: again, depends on the method, right? So the chair method will take up to 10 to 14 days just mm-hmm. in terms of your process of removing the room, leaving you can the room. With. Right. Right. Um, but that's not to say your baby might be sleeping way before that. You might sit there for five minutes and then
1: leave by the All right, Right. It could be all done day. in two days, three days, right. five days. It's, wow, right. it's a case-by-case basis mm-hmm. of how long it typically takes. Mm-hmm. And
4: it also depends on how consistent the parents are. So consistency is a real, real big component because maybe there a visitor comes and I always say no visitors, no traveling, no this, no that, but things, life happens, right? I always get calls like, oh no, I messed up. Well, well, that's okay. Let's reset, right? right? It just might take a little bit longer.
1: Right, right. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret.
2: at PurdueGlobal.edu,
1: how do you wean a baby off of nighttime feedings in order to get a longer chunk stretch of sleep? Mm-hmm. So
4: again, so the first feeding
1: we want we want it after midnight, right? Because um, their brain's going to develop if they go down at 7 p.m. and they sleep till midnight. That's a great five-hour developmental mm-hmm. chunk. Right. Okay, um, and then. You can do it a couple
4: ways. You can push the time out. So let's say two nights in a row they made it to 1230. Mm-hmm. Okay, tomorrow night let's try to make it 1245 or 1 o'clock. Okay. Um, so you can push it out that way. You can also reduce how much how much time-wise or ounces. That's what I did. Um, and kind of push it out that way. So they're get it, their stomach is less full. Right. So they're not used to sleeping on a full stomach. That's what I did. So. It
1: took forever, but it was like what worked for me, which was I would pump, and then that bottle that w- would happen at one o'clock in the morning, it was five ounces, then four and a half for three nights, then four for three nights, then three and a half for three nights, then three for three <laughs> nights, then two and a half, then two, then gone. Exactly. Um, okay, great. Good job. Um, thank you. <laughs> i have i'm not like a freak about sleeping but i'm always like he's not eating enough like there's this weird you'll see like as moms just every single thing is like anxiety Word. induced yeah i just like it's like i'm starving and he's and not working he's not eating <laughs> it's like he's not eating at 1 a.m and, and i had to do that for, first i dropped the 4 a.m feed then i dropped the 1 a.m feed and then magically it happened um, and then I felt like a human being. Is nap training and sleep training same, different? Do you do the same thing at the same time? Uh, tell me. I typically like doing them both at the same
4: time because sleep comes together much quicker that way. Because um, when you don't get good naps... You don't also, get good
1: nighttime sleep. You can Are get, they directly related?
4: They can, they can lead to nighttime wakings. No, thank you. So um, I do like working on them together. That doesn't mean they can be, they also can be separated. So you can work on night, if you're gonna do one first, you work on nighttime first, because it's the easier of the two, because naps are harder to come together because they're a lighter stage of sleep. Got it. So even when you're working on them together at the same time, naps still might be wonky a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, But then as the more practice you give your baby for napping, the more
1: it will come together. What are the early, I don't know, mistakes that parents make with sleep training?
4: Stopping too fast, saying it does it's not working
1: on day two. Oh gosh, I'm so that is me. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, mean ended I up like working out the end, but good thing, Adam. You know, I always feel like it takes a partner to be kind of stronger than the other to. Stick with it, not give in too soon, not just quit too early. So it's really perseverance and stamina and... Having a
4: plan. Write it down. Even if you're not working with someone, put a plan down on paper. This is what I'm going to do on night one. This is what I'm going to do on night two. Oh, that's really helpful. It's like writing down down your new year's resolutions. Keeping yourself accountable. Tell somebody about
1: it. Right. Takes a village, guys. Takes So you had already mentioned this, and this is big on me, but what happens when you might have gotten a lot of these routines into place and then all of a sudden something does come up? Travel, illness, somebody's come to visit, it just throws off everything and you kind of get through it and then you come back when you come back to it? Is that kind of the deal? Yep, you come back when you get home,
4: you pick things right back up where you left off. Um, waking them up in the morning Mm -hmm. to reset their circadian rhythms if you've been traveling.
1: Yeah, guys, Um (laughs) I'm going on a trip and I am fully freaking out about the time difference because I have a great schedule going on and a great sleeping baby and I'm like, What am I doing? But see, I am of this person of like, I'm two ways. Like I'm, I'm, I'm sort of a hippie and down for like whatever. And it's my life and I want to live it Mm -hmm. and I want to grab it by the cojones. But Mm -hmm. I also, I'm like, but he, we're on a schedule and he (laughs) sleeps through the night. And like, what am I doing? He'll get back. It's a muscle.
4: He knows it and he'll come back to it.
1: And it's a personal choice. Yes. Like, you know, um,
4: you basically just go back to whatever training method you had going great for you.
1: From before, what do you suggest for people who, like you say, the partners involved, nannies are involved, grandparents are involved, you know, any sort of other help? It's I'm sure it's so important to get everybody on the same freaking page. Yes,
4: have your schedule laid out.
1: Everything's got to be written down. If you're a
4: schedule person, have your schedule laid out.
1: Um, I had it printed down. all over <laughs> my trailer.
4: <laughs> yeah,
1: because I had a lot of different. I, I, it took me a while to find a nanny I very much trusted and so at the beginning it was my husband and it was friends who were also nannies when I was a nanny and people I really trusted because I was having a hard time leaving the baby alone. Mm-hmm. And I had to write everything down yeah. and um, really hope that everyone stuck to it. What are the common myths stigmas all this stuff about sleep training that you want to dispel susie right here right now (laughs) um we talked about one already that you're harming your baby if you let them cry thank you for telling me because i even still worry oh yeah i mean yeah like i think about those early days of like letting him cry for three minutes and just being like because you know what i just went away with my mother god bless her i love her so much but i put the baby down And he was whining and complaining for a couple minutes um and my mom was horrified like horrified that i let him do that um and she'll be the first to admit oh katie i let you sleep in the bed for whatever i never let you cry a day in your life you know, and, and so we have differing opinions there, um, but I have to admit, I totally caved and went in and got him and rocked him, and I, like, never rock him to sleep, but, like, my mom, the mom felt the pressure, of- and I felt the judgment of it, and I was like, oh, my gosh, you're you're totally right. We're on a family vacation. He's upset. He should never be upset. I'm a horrible mom. I'm hurting him. I went up, and I rocked the baby, and he went to sleep in my arms, and, like, I don't ever do that, yeah. so.
4: The smallest comment will make you do Yep, the strange... I- for a stranger, I remember being in Baby Gap, and my little girl was taking a nap, and I was like, all right, here comes her 45-minute sleep cycle. She starts crying. Grandma in front of me turns around and says, I think she needs to burp. Oh, you're like, and you're I'm like, like how do you know? And I'm like... <laughs> okay i'm like breathing i'm like god damn it i gotta buckle her now and like pick her up and right. i had i did and you did i did oh my god
1: we don't even know this person no. oh you guys being a mom is so weird and hard and a study in being strong on your own and sticking to yeah. your convictions and oh my gosh it's so insane um so
4: another one yes what else is is would you like spell? that to your dispel? only option is cry it out that it's involved in like Just letting your baby cry.
1: Right. right? So you're saying if that's something that just freaks you out, that doesn't mean that you necessarily can't still achieve getting some sort of sleep schedule in place. Right. And timing is a key component of it. Like you can get
4: your baby down if the timing is right and you're processing their sleepy cues and getting all the things in line. That can go down without crying. Oh, yeah. It might
1: take a little bit, but. I watch my baby like a hawk. As soon as I see like yawn one, two, three. I'm like, we that's- got nap, baby. We got nap. And I'm going to catch him before the breakdown happens. But like, I know when I've crossed over into breakdown land where I missed, I was doing whatever and I didn't see the cues of the rubbing eyes and the yawning and whatever. And now we're into full blown bye bye And now I know it's going to be so much harder to get him down. Right. Um, this is so, so, so all interesting. And I think that that's very helpful to know for moms who might be super turned off by the stigma attached with crying it out or mm-hmm. feel really upset about babies crying and, and their own baby crying, but there are options, like you've said, the Ferber method. And what was the other one? <laughs> oh, there's, a,
4: there's chair. chair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a sleep wave. There's Hug It Out. There's
3: oh,
1: other hug one. Hug It Out. We didn't talk about that. You but. at all. What's that?
4: Um, so it's another gentle version. So if you have a baby that's standing. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, they want out no. I haven't gotten there
1: yet, guys. I am scurred. Okay, it's
4: it's similar to chair, but you don't pick up your baby, but you kind of go over and you just kind of like, I'm here, hug, yeah, and then I'm they'll here, slowly I'm like here. calm down with your calmness oh and they'll lie gosh. down, yeah.
1: Oh my gosh!
4: So I did hug it out with my daughter at some point when she was standing because she was. She was sleeping very well. And then, you know, some developmental things. She got so scared. So that's also a
1: thing where you might have your sleep thing down and then all of a sudden rolling over is new. Four months sleep regression is new. We're standing. Now we're pulling ourselves over the crib and we are <laughs> MacGyvering and matrixing our way down the side of the crib. I'm yep. so scared for that to happen, yep. by the way. I'm like... That'll be another episode. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> then I had a friend who, um, when her son got the big boy bed, he kept running out of his bed, drunk with freedom, and getting into their room every single night, like in the middle of the night, whenever he woke up. And they put a gate up. And then he would scream cry through the night on the other side of the gate and say, I'm bleeding, I'm hurt, I need to change my shirt, I'm all wet. I mean, not true things. Right. And I just have a vision of my friend and her husband holding each other, sobbing to stay strong and not go because he had to walk his own self back to his big boy bed and put himself to sleep. Right. Oof, guys, this is not for the faint of heart. No. No. Being a parent, whatever method you choose, just getting through the night and everyone having sleep, it's safety guys. Like yes. there were moments you're driving behind a wheel of a car, you need sleep. Yes. So we've talked a little bit about the, the benefits of sleep training for the baby um, developmentally, but also I'm sure you probably see huge leaps and bounds in, in parents themselves when they get sleep.
4: Yes, um, we're able, when we get sleep, we're able to be more responsive to them versus being reactive. Because when I know when I don't get sleep, I'm snappy. For sure. And I don't need to take it out on them just because they're having a tantrum over something and right. I blow up at them because I'm right. tired. Right. 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 So getting sleep in line not only for them but for you is really important so you can
1: parent better too. And get behind the wheel of a car. <laughs> the wheel of a car. <laughs> and drive them somewhere. Yes. Or just yourself. Yes. But yes, yes it's it's sleep is... I had never gone without sleep in my entire life. i had never, I mean, anytime I'd had like a crazy night all night or in college to get a paper in or something, I would sleep the next day. Or anytime those early 20 years where I partied really hard or whatever, I would sleep the next day. You didn't have to do anything. No. And when I brought my son home, I, for the first time my whole life, went three nights without sleep. And my husband said, I was saying crazy things. Like literally crazy things. I was scared. Like I, I really enjoy sleeping. I like napping. I like my eight hours and sleep was like all of a sudden the most important thing. And I'm so happy to know you. There are tons of different options with figuring out what a parent is comfortable with for themselves and for their baby and for their family. But what we know is that sleep is more importante.
4: Yes. And that's what I do too, is building a relationship with the family to understand them sure. and, you know, are they working? Are they not working? Mm-hmm. Um, who's taking care of the baby during the day? What type of schedules do we need? Mm-hmm. Um, kind of putting it all together. Are they going to daycare? Are they going to preschool? Mm-hmm. Um, what naps look like there? What are their philosophy? Kind of putting it all together for them so that they can have a plan of what to do when they do get home or maybe they're not getting home in time. So it's really tailoring it to Your individual case. Mm -hmm.
1: Susie Menkes, you are awesome. Healthy little sleepers, you guys. Um, Thank you so much for all of your time and your information. Thank you. And for talking about babies and sleeping.
4: You're welcome. Mm -hmm. It (laughs) was a pleasure.
1: Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret.
0: Burn at GetSmartBurn.com. The lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with smart metabolic burn from Brain MD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
2: This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future.
1: I'm so excited today because my dear friend Abigail Morgan is here and she is not only a very good friend but she really helped me through a very rough time in my life after my miscarriage um, I it took me months to get a regular cycle back it took me months to feel like myself again Abigail was the person that stuck needles in me lovingly every single week <laughs> I got pregnant and I also went to Abigail every week of my pregnancy and she visited me at home after I gave birth. Um, so not only is it like acupuncture, but you were a, a helper and spiritual help to me mentally, physically, pre-pregnancy, throughout my pregnancy and after my pregnancy. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Explain a little bit about what you do and then we'll, we'll move into um, all of the awesome stuff you do to your with your own children because you're you a mother of two.
5: I am, yeah. So I'm a licensed acupuncturist and herbalist, mm-hmm. board certified in traditional Chinese medicine in the state of California. So what that means is that I'm, I have a master's degree in traditional Chinese medicine, master's in science, and um, I am a primary care physician in California. So I have to diagnose using you know, biomedical codes um, and let's say, you know, IBS or dysmenorrhea, painful periods or wow, you know you migraines, whatever it is, um, and understand what that means from a Western perspective, but then also diagnose and treat according to Eastern medicine or traditional Chinese medicine. I specialize in reproductive health. So I have an additional board certification from the American Board of Oriental Reproductive Medicine in um, integrated Reproductive
1: health, and it is Float Chinese yeah medical my center. Float Chinese medical arts. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Float Chinese medical arts. Yeah. And you, when you're not busy doing that, uh-huh. you are a mom of two. I am. Yeah. And my they kid, are how old? My kids are seven and nine.
5: Amazing. And they're gosh, almost eight, almost ten.
1: Great. Yeah. And I want to talk to you a lot about when we started to get close. When we were working together throughout my pregnancy. I was, and still am, very fascinated in the way in which you raise your kids, which I think is great for this episode. And I would love to talk to you about how you raised them, really, like through sleep, through food, mm-hmm. all of your, because I know you worked with attachment parenting, you had a family bed, and I'm fascinated by these things hmm. because I've met your kids and they're awesome. So clearly the things you did were successful for you and your family. Um Can you talk to me how you came to the decision about a family bed, and what is that exactly? Sure.
5: Well, for me, um, I I grew up in New York City. My parents are in the theater business. (laughs) They're very. very, I had a very unconventional upbringing, Uh Um, and I, you know, I was. I felt like, well, I kind of grew up okay, I'm, I'm well adjusted, like what did they do? Right. And I didn't honestly know, apparently, that I had a crib and everything, but my mom's like, yeah, but you were in our bed every night. And, oh, and your brother was in our bed till he was six. Uh-huh. <laughs> so <laughs> I just thought, okay, well that worked. And then I also had other people in my life who were doing family bed. Um, what is
1: it? What is that? What does that mean? Basically,
5: uh, bed sharing, there's, okay, so there's room sharing and there's bed sharing. So right. now we know the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends room sharing as of 2016. Up until a minimum of six months, preferably a year. Wow, that is how they say so. Even if you have your baby in a crib, the AAP recommends that the crib is in your crib room. The be in the room. Now, that's obviously not the right answer for everybody. Sure, but they came to that decision after a whole. My understanding is um, after a lot of pediatricians were reporting SIDS some and really, yeah, like that SIDS infant stuff. death from yeah. from kids from parents that weren't attentive to. Let's say they didn't have a monitor, or you know they were relying sure. too much on it, or sure. wearing noise canceling headphones or something. Sure. So, so that said, I felt that I just wanted to be close to my baby. I, I felt that it, it would be hard to get up out of bed and nurse. go into another room and take the baby out of the crib and nurse and put the baby back. Right. We also had a small two bedroom apartment at the time when I had my logistically, first kid, that is logistically, like- you know, it didn't. Feel like it made a whole lot of sense. The walls were, you know, it was like a 1960s building with paper thin walls. We would have right. been the kid anyway, right. and I just wanted to sleep as much as possible because I knew I'd be going back to work and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, I also read a book. I had to write down the title because mm-hmm. I, um, I, I haven't looked at it in so long. But it was called the Continuum Con- the Continuum Concept by mm-hmm. Jean Liedloff from nineteen eighty six. I read it probably in. 1999 or 2000, um, way before I thought about having kids. And, um, the, it's a, it's a book by an anthropologist who went into essentially a pre-industrial society and looked at how these parents, um, were all okay. function and they all wear their babies. So oh. then I looked into attachment parenting and I looked into how that's based on attachment theory. This is always, yes, hits. but
1: explain to our listeners, what yeah. exactly is attachment parenting? Because you know, there are a lot of these trigger words when you're a new mom or when you're pregnant that you hear like sleep training, the cry it out method, mm-hmm. attachment parenting, a family bed, co-sleeping. These are all such triggering words that I think are like not – what's fascinating is that you've done some of them and and can you explain what exactly attachment parenting is and yes, how it worked for you? I
5: can't. And I feel like I didn't fully explain – the answer to your question about family bed. Yes, we will get that. So, yeah. So basically bed sharing is, is parents or caregivers in the same bed as the baby. Room sharing is, the, maybe there's a sidecar mattress So you had on the one floor. bed
1: with you yeah. and your husband uh-huh. and your baby. Yes.
5: And then when the second kid came around, we already had a, what's called a sidecar, a small um, infant mattress on the floor and our king bed was on the floor. Right next to it. Um, yeah. And so that, but then shortly after my second kid was born, they're two years apart he was like, I'm out. I'm in own room. On <laughs> his own. Oh, yeah. He was like, this is, you know, this waking up in the middle of the night, baby infant
1: stuff. Like, I'm over How it. How did he, <laughs> he march like, his own room? Now, the, the fear that people have about, like, blankets, sheets rolling uh-huh. over on your baby. How did mm-hmm. that just not happen? It
5: doesn't happen. <laughs> but there are safe sleeping guidelines. Mm-hmm. And your listeners can look them up from um, Dr. James McKenna. Mm-hmm. He actually wrote a great book called Sleeping With Your Baby, A Parent's Guide to Co-Sleeping. And so all of that is explained in that book. But you know, the long and short of it is, you don't have a lot of blankets. You don't have blankets over the baby. Right. It basically goes the breastfeeding parent, uh-huh. uh, and then and the baby, some sort of bed rail or wall, uh-huh. baby, breastfeeding parent, and then other parent. Oh, so we actually—that's the best way to do it. That's actually not what we ended up doing. Your bed was in the middle of, of, of the room. configuration of the of the room. Right. Um, we had dad on one side, baby in the middle, and me. And we just. Baby didn't have our comforter over him. Right. We made a U-shape with the comforter. Got it. Or we had two separate comforters, depending on the time of year. You know, here we are in Los Angeles. Right.
1: You don't really so, are sleeping with heavy, heavy stuff. Yeah, it's
5: different than And when so I when I the baby funny. would
1: wake up and make sounds, you would just roll over and lay down yep. breastfeed and breastfeed. The baby was
5: right there. So the beauty, beauty of it is that, you know, with cue feeding overnight, is baby goes, eh, 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 you know, and roots. And even at eight weeks, self-attaches. And I'm like, oh, I guess he's nursing. You wake up and then... You're done and you go back to sleep. Wow. Yeah. So the, the nursing hormones, the oxytocin and all those feel-good hormones really help me as a breastfeeding mom to go back to sleep. Sure. And, um, and, and now- then you do that in a safe way by not, you don't obviously, there's a suffocation hazard if there's a big blanket over the baby. Of course. So we would have our own little baby blanket over him or a sleep sack or- Something you know, like that. Various things depending on the time of year. If it was warm, then baby would just be in a, a sleeper without any blankets. And then when you gave birth
1: to your second baby, mm-hmm. how did the bed look there? So <laughs> I find this so fascinating. Yeah,
5: so at I my toddler was still nursing. He I breastfed through my whole second pregnancy.
1: Um Oh yeah, you guys, Abigail's the champion who tandem breastfed yes. FYI. Yeah. You ever heard of that? I did. That's two babies, one on each boob.
5: Yeah. Not always at the same time, although they they were at the same time sometimes. Um, it was just the second pregnancy was not... Uh, it, it took us by surprise. So <laughs> they were two years apart. So it's amazing. the older kid who was two when my the second one was born um, was at that time from 18 months, from his age, 18 months until baby two was born. He was sleeping in a sidecar arrangement. So he was on the floor in a small organic baby mattress yeah next to our bed so we would put him down at his bedtime 6 30 or 7 or whatever it was and then we would go leave the room and go about our night and then we would just go in and sleep in the family bed and so when baby two was born um and I had both kids at home so baby number two was born that my birth was super super fast the whole thing was about an hour um oh my, my husband had been Lord. putting my older kid to bed the two-year-old while I was realizing oh, holy shit, I'm in labor. Oh, my God. And then, you know, an hour later, (laughs) later, the baby's born in the the kitchen in a water birth. This was a planned home birth, I should say, with a a nurse midwife. Um, So then the next morning, my son met the new baby, and he just kind of toddled out of his little sidecar bed. Um, I think I had slept in the couch pullout that
1: night. So whatever sleep you was happened a after giving birth, like Superwoman. I can't oh, even. No, I can't even. It's just even. what
5: made sense. I mean, and and so we, when shortly after you asked how the sleep was, yes. when number two was born, so she we co slept with her, and um in and then after the first couple nights, it became clear. Okay, so toddler really needs to continue having this eleven-hour straight sleep, which he had been getting, and um, and my husband needed sleep, and so I slept in the twin bed in my son's room, which he hadn't even moved into yet. Right, this was our two-bedroom house. Right, we'd upgraded, but it was still only two bedrooms. Right, and so I slept in the twin bed with my daughter, the newborn, so that she could cue feed. That said, she would go three, four hours straight from newborn age, which, you know, you can't really let a newborn go more than four hours right. if you want to breastfeed. So I had to sometimes wake her, um, but to she eat. was a totally different type of Kid. breastfeeder than, than her older brother was. Um, and they, they are to this day, they eat in very different ways, they have different metabolisms, wow. um, where he was just, you know, like a hummingbird nursing <laughs> frequently. And she was like, oh, whatever, I'm like fast asleep. How did you and feel- then we all went into the family bed. I don't know, she was maybe a month old. I brought her back into the family bed. Right. And then my son was like, twin. I'm out. I want to right, right, go right, bed. Right, right, right. He was you two know?
1: years old and he was like, <laughs> he forget was this. Was he was like, like I insane. do not. Mom's this. up every four hours or less. Yeah.
5: And I don't even know if he knew that I was up because, you know, it's quiet. It's not like a, the child is screaming. Right. He right. Would feed them when they're hungry.
1: Right.
5: Uh, but he just, I think that he was so completely appalled that there was another child who joined the
1: family. <laughs> right. He's like, I'm going to just pretend this isn't happening, sure. go I in need my, my own room. space. I need my own space. And so we gave that to him. How did you find, um, how is it on a relationship?
5: You know, I think that Like it's I imagine if I had the
1: cozy moments of like, you know, because I, I didn't do, Albie was, I was really, really sick after I gave birth. I had the, probably the worst cold and cough I've oh, God, ever had right, in my entire it. life. Um, and so Albie was sleeping in his crib outside of my room from day one, um, with a night nurse. And I really still romanticize the idea of like the whole family being in a bed and all of these things. But realistically, since you have done it for a long time, you had a family bed. How does that look with your relationship? Like with your husband, is it like
5: Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a good question. I'm sure it looks different for every family. I know it does because I have a lot of friends and family members who've done family bed and many of them even longer than we did. So I'm just going to speak from my own experience. Mm But um, it was amazing when my first one was born. I knew it. You know, it it really was. (laughs) And this is a kid who physiologically needed to eat every 45 minutes to hour and a half until he was about a year old. That was just who He is, and he would get super full fast. This kid, as a newborn, could drain a breast in five minutes. Wow, and then he was out cold. for you
1: guys, like it would take That's me unusual. sometimes at the beginning, I would be breastfeeding for 35, 40 minutes. Yeah, for and
5: I, I remember asking my midwife, who was also a you know, a lactation expert, like, what about 20 minutes per side? Isn't it supposed to be? She's like, honey, watch the baby, not the clock, right? And that was the best advice I got, right? So in the light of all of these repeated surges of oxytocin and the feel-good hormones that, you know, our brain has the, the pituitary gland, which is between mm-hmm. our eyes and the forehead, secretes oxytocin, which stimulates uterine contractions. So that's part of what helps the uterus go back to its normal size after giving birth. Right. And also stimulates that prolactin comes from there too, stimulates the milk letdown. So every time you get that surge of oxytocin, the prolactin milk letdown, you know, it feels kind of like being high. You know, so like you're I experimented whole... a little bit in college. I mean, <laughs> I can just say it's, you know, it's a really heady or, or like a post-orgasmic feeling, except it's not sexual. It's right. just really feeling. So good. you're all in this bed of feeling so good. Swimming in the, you know, in the, shallow knuckles, and the... The, the cocktail of, uh, of, of mother hormones. That's what you were feeling. And yeah. he was feeling it too. I, I also felt a lot of anxiety. Right. Um, my husband and I were talking about this the other day that he's like, do you remember when we could you drop a fork in the kitchen and we would panic because we thought he was going to wake up because he was such a light sleeper
1: oh i can't i mean i'm very oh my gosh yeah
5: so the first time was 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 amazing but it was also it also was not without its challenges
1: did you feel that you got quality I, it sounds like you got quality sleep in this situation because you weren't having to get out of bed. I remember that to like yeah. go breastfeed. Like got, for you going back to work, it was all about logging the most amount of minutes possible to sleep, and that would mean having the baby right there next to you means you're not getting up out of bed to get the baby out of the crib. Yeah, to then get the baby down. It's skin back to
5: skin. Down. It's better, you know, regulation of the breastfeeding mechanism. The you know the letdown reflex happens sooner when your baby's right next to you. Um, and then baby wearing, which we did during the day. And this um, is all in
1: regards to attachment parenting is what yeah. we're talking about. Can you explain a little bit about what that means?
5: Yes, absolutely. Well, there's the eight principles of attachment parenting can be fi- found from attachmentparenting.org, mm-hmm. which is a not-for-profit organization. But basically, it's based on attachment theory, which goes way, way back. But um, it's the, the psychological model that describes relationships between humans and attachment theory is now the primary, the dominant theory used in child development, um, in infant and toddler mental health. This is what psychotherapists use. It's yes. called attachment theory. Theory, um, And so we look at it in the West in terms of the dyad, like the mother-infant dyad. But um, it, really, we need to look at the whole world and see that in most cultures, it's not a nuclear family. Right. 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 We're kind of forgive me, we're kind of fucked in, that yeah, way totally. in this world right? because this whole idea of it's like one or two parents raising kids is not, no, you guys it, takes a it's village. A village. It's, it really,
1: really is true. Yeah. Yes. Yes.
5: And, yes. um, so attachment, attachment parenting looks at, um, being the, a, having a primary caregiver, which usually ends up being the, the mother who gave birth, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have to be. Mm-hmm. I had a good friend whose wife went back to work at Disney as a producer, like 6 weeks after giving birth and he was he was the they were attachment parenting so she would they co-slept and but he was the That's you know amazing. the baby wearing dad and he was at the park with us and That's awesome. all of that and so it doesn't have to be just a mom and so it doesn't attachment have to be a biological mom
1: basically means like that the baby is always close to you in proximity?
5: Yeah, always and most of the time. So baby wearing allows you to kind of go about your day while having the baby close to you. Baby would, for me, baby would sleep on me. We baby wore, I had like 14 different baby carriers. Whoa. Um, And so some in the beginning were more appropriate to an infant and then as the baby. Some older. Yeah. And then once I had, you know, I got pregnant, I was wearing him more on my back. Um, And then co-sleeping or bed sharing. You
1: are... And cue feeding. Wow. Okay, so explain cue feeding. This Mm -hmm. is also a whole thing. And then I want to get into a little bit about how you naturally got your babies sort of on a schedule on their own. Yeah. And because you did end up going, you went back to work.
5: Yeah. After the first kid, I went back to work about three and a half months Mm -hmm. after giving... Birth, but I, uh, you know, I'm my own business owner, so I wasn't going back to work in a nine to six corporate office with an hour commute each way. Right. I you were
1: just having your own hours that you do that. Plan. Right. So you practice co sleeping, attachment parenting. Mm-hmm. You yeah. would wear that. You would sleep with the baby on you for naps in your bed at night, and then you would wear him. And her, was yeah, you did stuff throughout the day.
5: I should point out when my husband, my husband was the primary caregiver on, when I went back to work, he would do the baby wearing and on the weekends we both would. And then when we had a babysitter, they would wear the baby.
1: Did you find there to be any sort of huge separation that happened or does the baby just decide like, mom, I don't want to be worn? Like, you know, when they start to be really separate, Oh yeah, what they does tell that you. look like? They oh, they, they tell, you. tell you. See?
5: Yeah. Yeah. You, you, it's, it's clear, you know, it, basically, I feel that it's important to look at the brain and brain development. And so when attachment theory looks at how an infant responds when they are separated from their primary caregiver, right? And so in, in Africa, in um, certain countries that are, we might call pre, pre-industrial, you know, sure. where they still have um, the, I can't, spacing on the word for it, but there's multiple mothers in the village. I saw that. This still goes on in many parts of of the world. Of course, of course it does. This idea of um, solitary sleep is less than 100 years old. Whoa. So to kind of just put that in perspective, if you think of how long we've been around as a human race. So if a child is separated by themselves in the dark, scared, that goes into, um, you know, what's called our implicit memory. Mm. So they look at it. This is more of a Dr. Dan Siegel, who's a psychotherapist and um, neurobiologist um, here in California. But um, looking at how, how the brain works, the amygdala, the hippocampus, the parts of the brain that store our raw sensory memory. Mm-hmm. This is the stuff that's you know, pre-verbal. Mm. But if you, uh, let's say a child is attacked by a bear, you know, just because they're three months, doesn't mean they're not gonna remember it right. <laughs> because right, it goes right, into right. implicit memory. It goes memory. in there somewhere, of course, right? of course. And so the same thing happens when a
1: child is you know, by themselves. left alone,
5: yeah. And, and so the idea is not to never leave your child alone. But with attachment parenting, we are fostering. They, you're really looking
1: for their cues of when they are ready. Like you carried this baby mm-hmm. inside of you when they were not alone for 10 months, and now the baby's outside of you, and you keep them close, and they will make it clear with and when they are ready for any sort of distance. Is that sort of the
5: Well, yes, but also when the mom or the dad or the parents are ready Have for distance, work. <laughs> exa- for whatever it is, you know, there's a, there's a soothing approach so that the child is associating going to sleep with being safe. Right. If the child associates going to sleep with being in a state of terror and fear, then you can bet that kid's going to have problems later on in life with those implicit memories. Got it. so I saw that a lot because I worked with moms for so long before I became a parent. Mm -hmm. And and I saw that and I just didn't want that.
1: You knew in your heart that that was not like you were never going to be... For example, this whole cry it out method or letting babies really cry when they go to sleep, fundamentally and psychologically to you, that didn't sit right? To me and my husband.
5: And we talked about it quite a lot, especially in pregnancy.
1: You just knew that you were going to always put your baby to sleep in a state of comfort and peace and safety. That was
5: the idea. And then when eventually I night weaned my, my oldest child when he was about 17 months, we use the Dr. Jay Gordon, who's a pediatrician on and on the west side of, of California, Santa Monica, rather west side yeah. of LA, west side um, of California. All <laughs> of California is the west side, but yes. So, what did you yes. say? And um, and that approach is picking a seven-hour chunk because the definition of sleeping through the night is about seven hours, mm-hmm. um, you know, for a child under about a year. And he says do not use this method under. Like twelve to fourteen months. Okay, but we picked a seven-hour chunk because I was just tired of nursing all night through my pregnancy. Honestly, like that point, Who sixteen, seventeen like months. I old?
1: literally do not. I, I'm sitting here, you guys. I'm probably the most quiet I've ever been in any of the podcasts because my <laughs> mouth is on the floor, just agape at like. I, and that you look pretty and you're like well-rested and you did all of this. I just can't even imagine it. Okay, so.
5: Well, they do eventually sleep. But yeah, the <laughs> idea was pick a seven-hour chunk. And he says, you know, 11 p.m. to 6 a.m.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um,
5: and, and when instead of, it's gradual, but it, it, for us it took about a week and we did it with both kids. What but, you so do? instead of nursing to sleep, you breastfeed. And then after 11 p.m., you don't breastfeed at all. And so you do shushing and patting their back, but it's still within the family bed. So this approach is fantastic if you're doing family bed, but you want to, you're want you ready to night wean your kid. Right, because you're making them still overnight. feel
1: safe and comforted, yes. but not through food and nursing anymore. Yeah,
5: and it doesn't have to be the, quote, primary parent. It doesn't have to be the mom, as long as everybody's on the same page and you're really clear on your guidelines.
1: So when did you start to see a schedule... I'm assuming it started to naturally form yeah. because then you went back to work and I know that your baby was cared for by your husband and then also at daycare and things like that. Like how did you continue this sort of methodology with really basically being sort of on demand and taking things off of cues of your baby Mm -hmm. um, when other people are involved?
5: Right. Well, we did daycare. Daycare didn't start until 18 months. So I didn't have the experience of infant daycare, which I I know a lot of people who have, but I went back to work three days a week and two days my husband was on was the primary parent. And then one day we had a a And you guys completely saw eye to
1: eye, like he could do it, no
5: problem. Yeah, we did. And we still do. And he would just feed a bottle uh, before naps? So the idea with cue feeding is that whether you're bottle feeding or you're breastfeeding, if you have listeners who've really tried to breastfeed but can't, you can
1: absolutely still do cue feeding. Sure.
5: Whether it's with breast milk, your own breast milk that's pumped, donor milk, formula, whatever it is, it's food.
1: And cue feeding is basically like you think they're hungry, they're expressing that they're hungry, you feed them. You
5: learn their cues pretty quickly, just like you do with with when they need to poop, Mm -hmm. which is a whole other conversation maybe for another <laughs> episode but um so I went back to work at three and a half months after baby number one was born and um at that point he had really around I think about two, three months he settled into a pretty predictable pattern yeah of, of breastfeeding of sleep and and I believe rhythm and routine are so important um I love that sort of Waldorf approach of rhythm and routine um of you know or Rudolf Steiner of of Babies love routine. It can be, you know, looking at the baby's cues, just like I explained my first kid and my second kid, totally different metabolisms. Right. You know, one needed to eat, eat every hour and the other one could go totally four go hours. While, right? By six months was going like much, much longer. So, um, so we would watch their cues and then if it was a caregiver there, they would give a bottle of breast milk um, and then, you know, often wear the baby or, or bounce on a ball and put them down to sleep in their bed and then go about their business. Um, and so I you did the were at daycare and
1: they weren't on a set schedule, for example, like they weren't saying like, we do nap time here from oh, one yeah, to two. Oh yeah, but daycare
5: wasn't until 18 months.
1: Okay. So yeah. by that so, time the baby was set. Yeah.
5: A one and of- a half year old. Yeah. We, he was, I mean, by the time he started daycare, he was probably waking up once a night, maybe twice a night to nurse. Mm-hmm. No, no, that's actually, cause we night at 17, 18 months. So he was waking more frequently, but basically the full t- three full days a week of daycare when that started um, was about the time he was sleeping straight through the night, 11 hours straight. So no, they had a set nap time, you know, 1 to 2.30. And I, w- I said, how the heck are you going to get 14 kids to nap at the same time? And they said, oh, we just, it just, it happens. And, you wow. know, they, they're incredibly loving and they sit there and they pat their backs. And then oh, it's contagious. All the kids are in yeah, one once room. Once one your two they go, they machine. all start to go. Yeah, Turn they, on that white noise. <laughs> exactly. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, my God.
1: Wow. So... Um, what did, have you found to be the benefits of co-sleeping?
5: So the advantages are basically from when they night weaned, stopped nursing overnight, but continued nursing during the day. Um, they, they have not had any sleep regressions at all. Wow. And so, uh, and they, they have positive associations with sleep. They're,
1: they sleep. they're not afraid of they the it. They're, they're not they getting in a dark room and freaking no, out. Or... The biggest
5: issue now is, but mom, I'm not done with this chapter. <laughs> they want to keep reading. And we have a firm lights out, you know, rule. And I know, I know you want to keep reading. So I really take an empathy-based approach to parenting. And that just grows with them. You know, now they're in second and fourth grade and their sleep is absolutely crucial. So if anything, it's they don't want to go to bed soon enough, even if they're still like in bed at 730. That's a hard out for us. But they may be reading for an hour and a half. And so, you know, we have to turn They're off the in light.
1: bed at 7.30 and then they go to sleep at 9.00. They might read till 9.00. Well,
5: nine. I mean, my daughter's out by 8.15 most nights, but my son will push it as late, late as
1: we can. Can I be your kid? This is unbelievable. <laughs> like that sounds Well, they have to be up at 6.30 for school.
5: So, yeah. And I'm in bed by 9.30. Wow. I treat a lot of insomnia in my practice and a lot of the adults I work with did not have healthy sleep hygiene as kids. And so I think sleep hygiene, you know, however that's defined, it looks different for every family, is is super important for setting us up as adults because the brain is so malleable. You know, it's not fully myelinated until age seven.
1: Um, What advice would you give to parents um, who might be looking into making a choice like this?
5: The number one piece of advice I would give is trust your instinct. Trust your intuition because it's never wrong. Mm. And if you are married and you're because a lot of the people I work with are going about this alone, mm. um, single moms by choice, but if you, with your partner or the person that you're deciding to raise your kids with, mm. make sure that you talk about all
1: these questions first.
5: Right. Not all of them, but many of them. How, what do you want parenting to look like? Right. Um, Did you do
1: that with your husband? I did. Like you guys knew while you were pregnant, you had spoken about a family bed and attachment parenting and you had read books and done all that kind of thing. I mean,
5: it it was kind of hilarious. My, my mother-in-law got blessed her threw me a baby shower with a whole bunch of her friends that I had never met. And before (laughs) this, she said, so what's the nursery? Like, what is your color theme? You know? And I said, well, we were not going to have a nursery because we have a two bedroom apartment and one of them, one of the bedrooms was our office. Office, Right. And, um, and the other was our bedroom. And, and so we were, she's like, okay, well, you know, are you going to find out the the gender? I'm like, well, we're not going to find out gender because there's no test for gender (laughs) in in utero, but we elected not to choose to find out the sex for my first. So we didn't know. So I literally got like 30 fantastic gifts that were all pink or green. And, um, and my, my mother-in-law knit this adorable white baby blanket for my son with a Raider patch on it because my husband's a huge Raider fan, (laughs) she was like, she's determined to have something in there. Something.
1: So she was like, if I can't have a pick color, you I can have a blanket with a Raider emblem on it. so, I love her. Um, yeah. So the real thing, it's trust your instinct, which is, it's wonderful that I'm sitting here listening to you because I, I am such a Libra in that Yeah, or you and me both. I yes, I'm just like very good at weighing out like I I love being a part of this podcast because I love hearing how people do things. Mm-hmm. And I also really am able to see, weigh things out. And so for me, instinctually it can get hard because I'm like, well, I'm feeling this, but maybe it's that, but maybe it's this, yeah. but maybe it's that. Yeah. Ugh.
5: You know, it's, it's so good that you say that because as a Libra, I, I have same thing. I'm always wanting to know the yin and the yang things, the yeah. plus and the minus, the, cost-benefit ratio, Right, you know? totally, and the pros so, and cons list, baby. Exactly, and for a new parent or, you know, maybe a, a parent who had a kid nine, 10 years ago and is gonna be doing it all over again and mm-hmm. thinking
1: maybe I'll do things different,
5: you know, go to the library, get books, just, it's the, the- Yeah, you guys,
1: FYI, Abigail's brought up so many amazing points in this podcast that will all be listed in the crib notes. Yes, Okay.
5: absolutely, and just, I think, follow your instinct and follow your your inclination to learn more about something. And ultimately, you are the expert about your baby. Right. Nobody else is. And it, it, it for me, resisting the mommy wars brought on a lot of anxiety. Mm. I felt judged, whether or not I was actually being judged. I would feel anxious: Am I doing what's best for my kid? Mm. Can I be any better? But mm. I've learned now, almost ten years into this, to just to surrender and let it go, and detach with love, mm. and find acceptance with that uncertainty. Because ultimately, you know, we really can't control our kids. Uh, we can set nope. healthy boundaries. I can try, yeah. but no. Absolutely. <laughs> we can set healthy boundaries and, you know, have a really good rhythm and routine in our day and all that. And, and, um, and then ultimately, I, think, I truly think a lot of the personality just come into the world with it.
1: Oh, uh, for sure. I mean, God bless I've my I've babysat mom. enough kids oh, in this yeah. town to know that a lot of them just kind of came out who they were. It's they, really weird. They
5: absolutely did. Yeah. I, um, My mom and dad read this book by T. Barry Brazelton, who just... Passed away at age ninety nine a couple months ago, um, and he's you know world famous guy. But he was like the pediatrician in the post Spock era who was started talking about this attachment theory and all that. And my parents, my mom was like, I don't know, it just made so much sense, and it was totally different what her from what her parents had done with right. their six children. Um, nope. And that was bit, I saw that I saw she's like she found a book, it lit a fire. You know, she didn't, she said she felt like the the only person in the world who'd ever had a baby. <laughs> she was an actress in New York. None of her friends had kids. Right. So I, I, I took a cue from my mom, I think, and just following following my instinct, learning more about it, and then ultimately just letting it go and, and you know.
1: Reading your baby and getting to know your baby yeah. and trusting that you know what's best for him. And yeah.
5: And sometimes I I was on the floor hysterically crying, you know? I mean, that's the reality of it. Well, I think no matter
1: what you choose, whichever ways, and just because you choose something one day doesn't mean you can't change your mind another day also, by the way. But at some point, you're all going to be crying on the floor, and at some point, you're all going to be laughing your asses off, and that just seems to be motherhood. It
5: is. (laughs) And whether it's a biological child or an adopted child or, you know, a grandchild or whatever, it's that same dynamic. For sure. You have to just surrender into that powerlessness, I think.
1: I was actually just away with Albie and we had him nap in the bed with us for fun and I felt like I couldn't really like get into a comfortable position honestly like I I was like what about the blankets I know we've already talked about this but is that just something in time that you sort of figure out the best way position wise to sleep with your baby in the bed or was there something that you know works every time that's like written in a book?
5: Um, well, you know, I, I will refer you back to the, the Dr. James McKenna guidelines for safe co-sleeping because Mm -hmm. he gives good guidelines in general for everybody, but, um, and to avoid SIDS and Mm -hmm. and all of that. But I think what I tell my patients too, especially if they're dealing with insomnia and a new baby is find whatever's comfortable for you first, exclusive of the baby. I personally am a side sleeper. I've always slept on my left side. That's how I sleep, except my mom says when I was a baby, I slept on my tummy, Mm -hmm. um, I, I, you know, find your pillow blanket combo on the mattress and then figure out how baby can work around that in a safe way so that, for example, with me, I would tuck the blanket under my leg so it wasn't anywhere near baby. Um, And it also has to be a firm mattress. Mm. We can't be dealing with a mushy mattress here or a big cushy mattress cover. Mm -hmm. Those, those don't fit the safe co-sleeping guidelines. So we had a super firm mattress, which is what we liked anyway. so find where your comfortable spot is. And then if that's, it, it kind of is easiest on the side because this is all keeping in mind that I learned how to nurse on my side right. very early. Once the baby I think has you head taught control. me how
1: to nurse on my side. Actually. Yeah, I remember that. came over to do a postpartum, um, tune up acupuncture session. And she was like, Oh, you can just lay right here and put the baby right here. And I was like, you can lay down and nurse. I only thought in the hospital, I had only learned that there was a football hold or the cradle hold. Right. I had no, oh no clue. You could, so like, many lay holes. down and nurse. So yeah. you would be sleeping on the side. You get comfortable and figure out how the baby works into that because yeah. if you're sleeping well and mm-hmm. comfortably, so is the baby.
5: Right. And I basically lined up baby nose to nipple or he was a little bit lower. Uh-huh. Um, and that was what was comfortable for me. Babies are very resilient, they will pretty much sleep anywhere. And so the advantage of bed sharing was that, you know, we did travel to see family or we went on vacation or we were in a hotel or whatever. And would always be the same for and the And it would just, the baby would just sleep where we slept, you know, and, and this whole idea of a lot of people think, oh, family bed means you go to bed when the kid goes to bed. No. You know, when he they were really little, bedtime was six o'clock. Sure. We would put the big kid down to six o'clock and then I would like rush to do laundry and make dinner and all of that stuff. The, the dirty secret of parenting is that that window narrows, oh. you know, and then you end up with so much less time. I
1: cannot. But, right now, Ali goes to sleep at seven, and yeah. I my, really, my seven to ten window yeah. is like huge for me right exactly. now. Exactly. Especially, I remember it's that. like you know, when I see my husband and like, right. when I have a five glasses right. of wine yeah. or
5: whatever. <laughs> like. Well, the other thing is you get creative with where you are intimate with your partner. Mm. You know, I mean, i, I it's not just me. Imagine. I've talked to other people. Yeah, no, this. you have to, especially when you have the second kid and after to. the second kid comes, you know, it's
1: super important not to lose that intimacy in that one-on-one time date night became crucial. This has been so eye-opening, And so wonderful and you are i'm just so happy to be sitting with you in my crib on my couch um we both fit you're the best (laughs) you're just the best and thank you so much for all of your wise words and advice and personal experience um we really appreciate it thank you Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode. I want to hear from you. Let's chat. Questions, comments, concerns? Let me know. You can always find me at katiescrib at shondaland.com. Katie's Crib is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
5: Zumo Play.